let's take a trip in the Wayback Machine, setting the dial back about four decades and aiming for a location in the foothills of western North Carolina, Bostick in Rutherford County. I'm betting that you would think this time and place to be a pretty unlikely choice, and you'd be right. In fact, almost everything about our destination and the people there verges on being quite odd. This is a story rooted in the unconventional, a story that in many circles now is almost mythical. How on earth could a few amateurs from the hill country of North Carolina running a music venue out of an old auction house in winter and an outdoor stage in warmer months with no phone and a bathroom without a sink eventually wind up being courted by the likes of Garth Brooks, Allison Krauss, and Merle Haggard? How could the careers of bands like Newgrass Revival and Bela Fleck and the Flecktones have been so positively affected by playing so many times in a place that was essentially in the middle of nowhere? Welcome to Southern Songs and Stories. I'm your host, Joe Kendrick, and this is the story of Green Acres Music Hall. Southern Songs and Stories is part of the Osiris Network. Osiris is a growing community of music and culture podcasts, connecting music fans like you with conversation, commentary, and of course, lots of music. Check out OsirisPod.com for more great podcasts. You'll hear more about Osiris at the end of this episode. And a word from our sponsors, CashOrTrade.org is disrupting the secondary ticket market They have been called the Airbnb of tickets. They help real fans avoid scalping and purchase tickets for face value. Together, we are the change this industry so badly needs. Go to cashortrade.org slash Osiris and get 25% off a year of gold membership. Gold membership comes with the option of receiving push and text notifications each time a ticket is posted that you are looking for. You can also reply immediately without delay and gain the renew feature to bump your posts to the top of the list, increasing your post's exposure when looking for hard-to-get tickets. Again, go to cashortrade.org slash Osiris and add the coupon code Osiris when you check out to get 25% off. And Southern Songs and Stories is sponsored by Dynamite Roasting, the world's best 100% certified organic and fair trade coffee, roasted with love in Black Mountain, North Carolina, dynamiteroasting.com and we're hopefully sponsored by you when you join us as a patron and help keep this series going. More information on our website at southernsongsandstories.com and our crowdfunding page patreon.com slash southernsongsandstories We're hearing the sound check of a group called Mountain Express Band from Columbia, South Carolina playing Casa del Noche from the outdoor stage at Green Acres on June 14, 1997 They would go on to play a three-song set of long jams and medleys of songs like Glendale Train, John Hardy, Old Slewfoot, among others, along with sitar jams and an electric Scottish jam. I pulled this from their post on archive.org. We'll get to songs from a number of Green Acres shows from archive.org as we make our way through the episode, including Ayla Fleck and the Flecktones, and the Flecktones joined by Sam Bush, the John Cowan Band, plus music recorded on cassette, Yes, tapes. You'll also hear interviews of Bela Fleck, John Cowan, all the members of Acoustic Syndicate, Green Acres and Little King's own Steve Metcalf, 
Carol Rifkin, and others as we trace the unlikely and colorful history of one of the most beloved venues in the region. too. I go around and I see a lot of shows no. and festivals. <laughs> <laughs> you can't. It's its own. Oh, yes. The bathrooms were top-notch. Not. <laughs> we, we Did got, we have we, bathrooms? I we got remember. our first rider. We didn't know what a rider was on a contract. It said uh, all these things they had to have. And I said, now nah, we're going to have to get some running water in the women's bathroom. They had a wood stove that was the biggest wood stove I'd ever seen in my life. It was big enough to put trees in it. The guiding rules that we always had were all rules are temporarily suspended mm-hmm. and be nice or leave. Yeah, yeah. be nice. And then you had the, uh, and on top of that, you had uh, like piles of shag carpet on the stage. And like some, like, I don't know if it was. Eight layers. If it was uh, Dave Grisman or. I can't remember which performer came through and one time said, the world's most carpeted stage. <laughs> I mean, nothing was level. Remember that? Yeah. And it was damp. So we move it outside so we can get more people. And then all of a sudden, hey, we need it bigger than bigger. And then it snowed one year, and the snow of about 12 inches Ooh. collapsed the top of the Nile Dome into the bottom of the Nile Dome. And so here you've got, we thought, well, it's all over. It's all over. I mean, we're done. When you were at Green Acres, you heard a lot of music, um, and a lot of dogs and a lot of frogs. In the summertime, you'd hear a lot of frogs. And it was just, it was a magical experience. Green Acres was so unique in that it was far enough away from anything urban that you almost felt like you were in another another country when you were there. And you were amongst a large crowd of hundreds of like-minded people Long live Green Acres. Thank you, Bailey. Green, Green, Green Acres is dead. Long live Green Acres. Show, Mountain Express, the Newcastle Boys. And tonight, 
Ah, the Fleck tones. Bela Fleck on banjo with Future Man on Synthax Drumatar, his brother Victor Wooten on bass, and Jeff Coffin on sax. Steve Metcalf introduced them for that May 16, 1997 show. This was towards the end of the Green Acres era, a time when I had picked up on the buzz about the place and started showing up, often camping, in my work van. And what an era it was. Think about the differences in seeing live music between 1997 and 1977. The divide in everything from technology to the culture is pretty astounding when you start digging into it, and we'll get a good look at some of those differences and how things changed over the decades for Green Acres and for the music world in general. I'll give you an example. Did you know that in 1977, biker gangs were a big problem for live music venues and especially rural outdoor festivals? Like if you had a rock and roll club or put on a bluegrass festival somewhere out in the country, you could very well be overrun with bikers and things could get pretty nasty quick. Well, no biker gangs ever came to Green Acres, and that's a good thing. It was a safer place than many in 1977, and in 1997 for that matter. Here's Bela Fleck talking about his time playing at the Acres, beginning with his band Newgrass Revival. But it was fun. It was fun. We always played at our best there. That's the thing I always remembered is we would play, we would go, it would be a cold freezing night. They'd have that hot stove. We'd be burning it up next to the stove and people would just go absolutely ballistic and they would soak it all up. Whatever we did, the weirder, the better. There was no, you know, it wasn't like you had to like do your slick show or your, you know, or your simpler songs. You could, you could do the, the wilder stuff and you could go as far as you wanted and they would just lap it up. It, so it made you feel really good to play there. On the surface, it seems so unlikely that Green Acres would have had the run that it did with artists that come there like you. What did you think at first about going into this little tiny spot out in the middle of Rutherford County? Did it seem like that was completely odd? I loved it. I loved it. I mean, I'm playing bluegrass. You know, I, I was I'm a New Yorker that moved to the South to play the banjo. So I was hoping to see some things like that. And plus, knowing that it wasn't far from where Earl Scruggs came from. It's the closest I've been till today. Uh, now, right, right now, we're at Don Gibson Theater, and, and Earl Scruggs Center is is in my in, in my next hour. I get to go check that out and see what that's all about. I've been really dying to do that. But but anyway, no, I'm a big fan of Earl Scruggs, and and North Carolina is full of great banjo playing, and I was excited to check it out. You know, see what was what the what what everyone was talking about. So but when we got there it was just so relaxed. Everything was so easy and Steve and Donna made us at home in their and their home and we would stay with them and we would hang out late and party and we all became just really fast friends. It was very sweet. Can you tell about the song Yeehaw Factor and how that came around? <clears throat> yeah. Well, Sam would always talk about the Yeehaw Factor. He'd say, in fact, I, I, I'm pretty sure he would have said before we got here, he would say, Bela, there is a Yeehaw Factor here. You're going to, this is not, you know, your typical situation. And I was like, great. You know, I could tell he loved it. It wasn't like he was saying, you're going to hate this. It was like, but it's, this is, con- you know, this is country. This is a different thing. So, um, so I always remembered him saying that. And when the Flectones came around and we started playing, at Green Acres, which, by the way, was a little like of a traumatic. I was afraid. I didn't know if I was doing the right thing bringing them there, bringing the guys there um, after Newgrass. You know, everybody's favorite band had split up, and now I was playing with these guys doing this weird music. I wasn't sure it was the right thing, but it ended up being fantastic. After this, I think the first set got kind of a sort of a curious, muted response. Then everybody went out to the parking lot, and when they came back, um, all of a sudden, everybody thought we were the greatest thing ever. All right, here we go. 
In 1972, Newgrass Revival came along and shook up the bluegrass world with its eclectic approach to a form that was defined by Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys a quarter of a century before them. And that was a bit of Ginseng Sullivan with founding member Sam Bush alongside later Newgrass Revival member Bela Fleck at Greenacres in August of 95. 
Newgrass had played there many times, going back to the late 70s, as John Cowan described. Sam Bush, myself, Curtis Birch, and Courtney Johnson. This, I'm guessing it's 76, 77. And there's this little cinder block building. And I think the first time we played there was in the winter. And the light, ha- the stage had, which was in the back of this little cinder block building, had one little white light bulb hanging down over it with an American flag up against the wall and a sign that says, we don't pay ASCAP. No ASCAP music played here, H-E-A-R, Now wrote it. There you go, no ASCAP music played here. <laughs> and there was one wood stove in the front of the place. And we just looked at each other like, where in the heck are, what is this? And so we did our little sound check and and people just started streaming in. And by the time we started playing, it was packed with hippies like us. People that looked like us, only they were mountain people. And uh, we played and they loved it. And we played some more and they loved it some more. And then we played some more and then, you know, back in those days, we were all wide open, you know. We were, I was 25, 26, Sam was 26, 27. Um, there was lots of partying to be done. And, that's, <laughs> and that, that stayed that way. That aspect of the acres stayed that way. The, the crowd came ready with moonshine and whatever. Y'all appreciate the John, John Cowan band here. It's here tonight. Thank you so much. This is hey, Matt. number section. Joseph has no keys. I don't know why. And uh, we appreciate him coming here to Green Acres. They've been playing here for some time. And uh, don't forget all what we're going on here. We got Niles pig picking and so forth and so on down the line. So get your schedule. The, the Let's whole, make welcome Don Cowan. The whole way. Come on here. All right, y'all. Say you love me 
Green Acres was so unique in that it was far enough away from anything urban that you almost felt like you were in another another country when you were there, and you were amongst a large crowd of hundreds of like-minded people, uh, particularly for the Newgrass Revival. It was almost like a revival to be there, a uh, very friendly crowd, and, and you're all there for the same reason. That's Ed Stokes, who played at the Acres in his bluegrass band Morning Sky a couple of times back in the early 80s, following the John Cowan band playing a bit of Tomorrow Morning after being introduced by the founder of Green Acres, the late Niall Cuthbertson. I wouldn't be telling you this story if it weren't for the fact that an auctioneer in the foothills of the Southern Appalachians had a band, decided to use a building on his land to showcase it, and was paid a visit by the local health inspector who wanted to book a band he represented there. Now Cuthbertson was the auctioneer and Steve Metcalf was the health inspector. Now turned Steve down flat. But instead of ending, the story was just beginning. Here's Steve Metcalf. I had a band that I was just kind of helping out called the Smoking Grass Band. And, and we just ran out of places to play. And I said, wouldn't it be nice if, if y'all could play right here in our home field uh, every Saturday night? And it was just kind of a, of a, uh, just a dream type thought. And then all of a sudden, I went to look for a local venue, and I happened upon, you know, nobody wanted to do that, so, but I happened upon Niall Cuthbertson, the owner, the builder, the dream maker of, he named it, the Green Eggers Music Hall, and I, I asked him, would he have my band play there, the Smoking Grass Band? And he looked at me kind of like, no. And I thought, okay, I got another no, and I was ready to leave. And then Niall said, but you want to run this place? You can book anybody you want. So for the next eight Saturdays in a row, I had the Smoking Grass Band play at Green Eggers. First night was a snowstorm, and but we still had a crowd. It was $2 a piece. So the Smoking Grass Band gets to play, and I promised them. I said, boys, this will get better. And so the first night, they got $20 a piece. And, and the next Saturday, they got 21 The next Saturday, they got 22 And somewhere around 27 or $28 a piece, I got a new band. And it went from there to there to first big act probably was uh, Norman, Norman Nancy Blake. That first show he booked there was February 9th, 1980, according to the newspaper article I saw in Steve's memorabilia. Green Acres at that time was little more than a cinder block building. They had little in the way of facilities. They had no phone. They had stage lighting, which consisted of bare bulbs shrouded by tomato cans. There might have been some hand-drawn flyers with directions and band info, though. At least there were soon enough, and eventually the amenities improved. But it's a trip to think about going to a show in these conditions, given what we have today. I mean, even in the same place, in a rural, lightly populated place like Rutherford County, you can pick from three or four places to see live music on at least a weekly basis, if not more. Back then, you would be lucky to have three or four options to see live music within 75 miles. 
And if it was bluegrass you were looking for, it got even more limited. Ed Stokes had this observation. There was a large sort of underground bluegrass community. There were definitely places we could go. There were, there were festivals around. There was a Snuffy Jenkins festival over there in Harris, North Carolina. And uh, Ralph Stanley had his festival up in Virginia. And shortly after that, around that time, Doyle Lawson started his festival in Denton. So there were a few outdoor festivals. There were the fiddlers' conventions that had always been around at schoolhouses. And then there were a few nightclubs, uh, but not too many. And I would say that bluegrass, the music, and the bluegrass fans weren't really very welcome. That was still kind of disco or slightly post-disco time. There were places where we were welcome, but there were. it wasn't like now in 2018 where you can walk in just about anywhere in Charlotte. It wouldn't be surprising to see a banjo on the stage. Back then, it was very unusual, and you had to go to one of the bluegrass-friendly places. Once we played a club in Charlotte uh, around that time, 83, 84, when we showed up, Saturday night to set up the manager who was not the person who booked us. The manager on duty looked at our cases and said, Oh my God, you're not going to play banjos in here. Are you? They'll crucify you. Steve's was so unique. There were not many places to play. There was one place in Asheville. There was one place in black mountain. I'm not even sure if McDibbs had begun when Steve started. And then here is Steve who we've met out and about at festivals. And he just, uh, as a venue. And, uh, you know, it was the Wild West of music. He said, oh, I can do this. I can have a venue. And he did. And there was a lot of that going on. It was back in, you know, acoustic music was really in a a boom of, um, you know, people would say, oh, let's have this, this band. And there wasn't a venue. So they'd go to someone and get them to put the money up and promote a concert and run around and put posters up. And there, there wasn't anyone who had a lot of experience at it. There weren't a lot of agents. They were, it was just a new world out there. I would print these off and I'd put them in my back pocket. And as I would go to this festival to festival, club to club, I would say, hey, man, you, you understand it. Take one of these flyers and, and after 20, I mean, 10, 20, 15 years, these people who I said, you're special, take one of these. And these people would all show up at one time in the middle of where the heck is Green Acres. Yeah. And they were all there. And it, it, it was like a, a, a mystical experience, to tell the truth. It really was. Yeah. Yeah, I'm proud to have had anything to do with it. I think a lot of folks didn't even know that there was that much type of bluegrass around in that many varieties of styles unless they were already had been exposed to it. But it was said one time when Ricky Skaggs played the cellar, he went electric. Their favorite saying was, there's not but a hundred dyed-in-the-world bluegrass fans in all of Charlotte, and they don't all come out all the time. That's Phil Dennis, who ran the Old Prospector in Charlotte, North Carolina in the late 70s and early 80s, and later was a frequent visitor to Green Acres, giving a little insight into what it was like to be in the bluegrass and newgrass business in that era. Carol Rifkin, who played at Green Acres for the first time in a band called Flat Rock Phil and the Horseshoe Hotshots, 
and Steve Metcalf were also quoted there. That period of time, from the mid to late 70s and early 80s, saw some lean years for acoustic music like bluegrass. Disco was all the rage, then new wave. It had been a long time since the folk boom of the early 60s, and from when Flattened Scruggs went to number one on the charts with the ballad of Jed Clampett from the Beverly Hillbillies. In a 1981 interview in the Washington Post, founding member of the Country Gentleman and the Seldom Scene, John Duffy, was quoted as saying, 20 years ago, bluegrass was like pornography. It was sold under the counter. Now it's okay for a U.S. senator to play it on hee-haw. It's okay for people to like it. And people did like it, just not nearly as many as today. Green Acres was doing its part to bring that echo of the folk boom, the traditional bluegrass music of artists like Eddie Adcock, the Dillards, and Country Gentlemen, plus the progressive wing with acts like Newgrass Revival, to an area that, to a large degree, had yet to hear it. Every single one of those shows I ever played there, it felt, it just felt humbling to even be there in the presence of what it was. I mean, you were describing hearing, I agree with that 100%. To, hearing Tony play, and even I felt like watching Tony play that he felt the same way, that because it was such an intimate thing, that you played on a different level. You've experienced music on a different level, both as an artist and as an audience member. And um, Eddie Adcock, he would just play amazing shows out there. Um, yeah, it just goes on and on. Goose Creek Symphony? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Colonel Bruce Hampton and the Fiji Mariners. Colonel Bruce Hampton and the Fiji Mariners <laughs> on the inside, yeah. On the inside? Yeah. 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 Larry Keel? Yeah, Larry Keel. Norman Blake? It, it was a destination place before the term destination place ever came about in the music business, uh, in my opinion. Uh, once, once you had a Green Acres under your belt, things were never going to be the same for you, whether you're a musician or a fan or a neighbor of Green Acres. Uh, but um, it was it was a destination place. There's so many destination places now, but that was the first destination place in my memory of, of, of that term being used in this in this industry. Members of Acoustic Syndicate with their manager, Billy Herring, talking about Tony Rice and some other greats that played at the Acres following a bit of Tony Rice. As Billy said, the venue was a destination place before there was a term. You could go to Green Acres just to be there, and there were people that would go camp days in advance of a show. But before it became a destination, before the outside stage and thousands in audience and camping, it was just a cinder block building in a place and time that just doesn't seem to spell success for booking bluegrass. Consider this. In the 70s, going to large festival-like outdoor venues especially, meant that you might run up against a biker gang. You know, biker gangs and lawless things uh, at Shade Gap in Pennsylvania, they actually, a biker and a a man got into a a fight and someone got shot and they actually, um, the Hells Angels took over the festival and shut it down. 
Um, that's hard to believe in this day and age. And the state trooper sat out on the interstate watching because they were afraid to go in. And, and, you know, it took like six hours for it to resolve. And that was not an uncommon thing. There was just a lawlessness in rural areas. So it worked both for Steve and against him. A, as a woman, sometimes now I say, I can't believe I did those things. Women did not go to music events like that. I would never have gone to a music event without being with guys that with, that I knew. And that's like unheard of today. People would look at me like I'm crazy, but you just, you really had to be careful where you were going, what you were doing, especially out in rural areas. So for Steve to bring all those elements here in the rural South and put them together in a way that was cool and safe, it's remarkable that he did that. And it was safe. The men who worked there wore vests. They were big, and they wore vests that said on their back, be nice or leave. I mean, how cool is that? I put in a no T-shirt in the middle of the summer and a $10 cover, which nobody ever heard of at the time, and advertised bluegrass. And I got 100 people to show up you know, with no T-shirts, and they were like really well-behaved, and I knew the direction I was going right after that. That's Phil Dennis talking about the beginnings of his venue, The Old Prospector, following Carol Rifkin, both relating memories of just how sideways the scene could get back in the day. Phil got rid of bikers by making anyone with a T-shirt wear these green work shirts that he bought, along with upping the door to $10 a head. That was like $30 today. He booked bluegrass from then on and made a pretty good run for about five years, booking on average four bands a week.
you know what else you don't hear much about anymore? Cassettes. Steve Metcalf has a few tapes of shows at Green Acres from the late 80s onward, including this one of the band Cash Valley Drifters. You know, I was all about tapes. I got a Sony Walkman when I was about 13 and played it constantly. Tape clubs? Check. Always buying things on cassette and recording onto blanks. You ever record from the radio on cassette? I did that too. Anyhow, as cool as making a mixtape was, going back to cassettes now, wow, they're not nearly as convenient. And 20 or 30 years doesn't do much for the sound quality, but I'm glad to have them for this episode. We'll be hearing some more music from that library of cassettes in our next episode, along with music that I sourced from archive.org. We've just gotten started on our Green Acres journey, and there's a lot of fun left to be had. Thanks for listening to Southern Songs and Stories, and thanks to our sponsors, Dynamite Roasting and our supporters on Patreon. Shout out to Rob, Mitch, and Mark for being early adopters there. I encourage you to spread the word about this podcast and consider helping us by subscribing and commenting on our show and becoming a patron. You can find out more at southernsongsandstories.com and at patreon.com slash southernsongsandstories. And you can keep up with us on our Facebook page, on Twitter at South Scenes, and Instagram at South Stories. This is Southern Songs and Stories, where we are showcasing the music of the South and the artists who make it. Osiris. This podcast is in the loop, the Legion of Osiris podcasts. What does that mean? Osiris is a community of great music and culture podcasts. If you like this one, go check out others at osirispod.com and get in the loop. Osiris is partnered with Relics Magazine at relics.com. We never had telephones out there. Much less a computer. No computers. Uh, the only well, There were some televisions, but those were in people's real fancy automobiles that would pull up. We used to have a... Uh, a Rolls Royce used to come park in front of it because Lee Greenway lived here in Rutherford, and he was the he was the makeup artist for uh, the Andy Griffith Show. So he'd come out here when we, when we'd have the Dillards play at uh, at uh, Green Acres, you know the the band that was up the, the Darling family. Well, that was the Dillards, and yeah. so the, when the Dillards would come play Green Acres, Lee Greenwood would love to come pull his nice uh, Rolls Royce up in front of Green Acres to let them know that he was there. <laughs>